backwards in case you've forgotten the story. It's found in Luke. It's the tale of two sisters. It's the tale of you and me. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Luke ten thirty-eight through 42 A Martha World When I read the first part of Mary and Martha's story, I must admit I find myself cheering for Martha. I know we tend to sing Mary's praises in Bible studies, but Martha, to be honest, appeals more to my perfectionist tendencies. What a woman! She opens her home to a band of thirteen hungry men, possibly more. What a hostess! She doesn't whip up an impromptu casserole of Kraft macaroni and cheese and ballpark franks, as I've been known to do on occasion. Not her. She is the original Martha Stewart, the New Testament's Proverbs 31 woman, and Israel's answer to Betty Crocker. Or at least that's the way I imagine her. She's the queen of the kitchen, and the rest of the house as well. And Luke's story starts with Martha in her glory. After all, this is Jesus. She scraps her ordinary, everyday menu of soup and bread and pulls out all her cookbooks. This, she decides, will be a banquet fit for a Messiah. For the Messiah. Martha sends one servant to the field to slaughter a lamb, another to the market to pick up a few of those luscious pomegranates she saw yesterday. Like a military general, she barks commands to her kitchen staff. Soak the lentils, pound the grain, knead the dough. So many things to do in so little time. She must make sure the centerpiece and the napkins match, that the servant pours the wine from the right and not the left. Martha's mind is as busy as a room filled with kindergartners. What would be just right for dessert? A little goat cheese with a tray of fresh fruit? Will Jesus and his followers stay overnight? Someone must change the sheets and fold some towels. Where's Mary? Has anyone seen Mary? She asks a servant scurrying by. If Mary changed the sheets, Martha might have time to fashion an ark from the cheese and carve the fruit into little animals marching two by two. Productions of this magnitude require the skill of a master planner. And Martha's an administrator extraordinaire, a whirling dervish of efficiency with a touch of Tasmanian she-devil thrown in to motivate the servants. I happen to be the oldest in my family. Perhaps that's why I understand how frustrated Martha must have felt when she finally found Mary. The entire household is in an uproar, busy making ready to entertain the most famous teacher of their day, the man most likely to become the next king of Israel. I can relate to the anger that boils up inside of Martha at the sight of her lazy siblings sitting at the master's feet in the living room. It's simply too much. With everything still left to do, there sits little Mary, being quite contrary, crashing a party meant only for men. But worse, she seems oblivious to all of Martha's gesturing from the hall. Martha tries clearing her throat. She even resorts to her most effective tool, the evil eye, famous for stopping grown men in their tracks. But nothing she does has any effect on her baby sister. Mary only has eyes for Jesus. Pushed to the limit, Martha does something unprecedented. She interrupts the boys' club, certain that Jesus will take her side. After all, a woman's place is in the kitchen. 
Her sister, Mary, should be helping to prepare the meal. Martha realizes there is a cutting edge to her voice, but Jesus will understand. He, of all people, knows what it's like to carry the weight of the world. Now, of course, you won't find all that in the Bible. Luke tends to downplay the whole story, dedicating only four verses to an event that was destined to change Martha's life forever, and mine as well. And yours, if you let the simple truth of this passage soak deep into your heart. Instead of applauding Martha, Jesus gently rebukes her, telling her Mary has chosen what is better. Or, as another translation puts it, Mary has chosen the better part. The better part? Martha must have echoed incredulously. The better part. I say to God in the midst of my own world of activity, You mean there's more? I have to do more? No, no, comes the answer to my tired heart. Jesus' words in Luke 10 are incredibly freeing to those of us on the performance treadmill of life. It isn't more he requires of us. In fact, it may be less. A Merry Heart The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Mary and Martha. They are mentioned by name only three times in Scripture, Luke 10, 38-42, John 11, 1-44, and John 12, 1-11. But from these brief accounts, a fascinating picture develops of what life must have been like at the house of Bethany, and what life is often like for us. They say variety is the spice of life. Perhaps that's why God so often puts people of such different personalities in the same family. Either that, or He's trying to prepare us for marriage. Mary was the sunlight to Martha's thunder. She was the caboose to Martha's locomotive. Mary's bent was to meander through life, pausing to smell the roses. Martha was more likely to pick the roses, quickly cut the stems at an angle, and arrange them in a vase with baby's breath and ferns. That is not to say one is right and one is wrong. We are all different, and that is just as God made us to be. Each gifting and personality has its own strengths and weaknesses, its glories and temptations. I find it interesting that when Jesus corrected Martha, he didn't say, Why can't you be more like your sister Mary? He knew Martha would never be Mary, and Mary would never be Martha. But when the two were faced with the same choice, to work or to worship, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better part. To me, this implies the better part was available to both Mary and Martha. And it's available to each one of us, regardless of our gifting or personality. It's a choice we each can make. It is true that, personality-wise, the choice may have come easier to Mary than it did to Martha. Mary does seem more mellow by nature, more prone to walk in the dew of the morning than to get caught up in the dews of the day. I'm sure when Jesus dropped by unexpectedly that afternoon, Mary probably began the visit by serving, just as she had done many times before. I can see her taking walking staffs and sleeping rolls as the disciples spill into her sister's well-ordered home. Buried beneath cloaks and backpacks, she watches the man who has taken the heart of Israel captive by his words. There is such joy and winsomeness about him, she can't help but be drawn to this man. Could Jesus be the Messiah that people say he is? Mary wonders. She knows he's a great teacher, but could this actually be the Son of God, admiring the tapestry she wove, drawing her out of her shyness and into the circle of his closest friends? She drops the disciples' belongings in a corner and hurries to pour wine for the thirsty crew. There is an ease about them, a true camaraderie. 
The men laugh at each other's jokes as they wash down the dust of the road with the liquid she provides. Then they settle on low couches around the room, and Jesus begins to teach. He speaks as none she ever heard before. There is a magnetism about his words, as though they contain breath and life, breath and life Mary hasn't known she needed until this day. She creeps closer and stands in a dark corner, listening to Jesus, her arms wrapped around the empty pitcher. She's aware of movement around her. Several servants busy themselves washing dirty feet, while another sets the table at the other end of the room for the meal to come. Mary knows there is plenty to do, and yet she is unable to move, except closer. It isn't customary for a woman to sit with a group of men, but his words welcome her. Despite her natural reticence, she gradually moves forward until she's kneeling at his feet. His teaching envelops her, revealing truth to her hungry heart. The Bible isn't clear whether or not this was Jesus' first visit to the home in Bethany. Martha's openness with Christ seems to indicate a prior acquaintance. But whatever the case, this day Mary chose to let someone else do the serving so she could do some listening. It isn't every day God visits your house. So she ignores tradition, she breaks social etiquette, and she presses closer, as close to Jesus as possible. It doesn't matter that she might be misunderstood. She cares little that the disciples look at her strangely. Somewhere in the distance, she hears her name, but is drowned by the call to her master, the call to come, the call to listen. And listen, she does. A Tale of Every Woman Against this Bethany backdrop of unexpected guests, I see the struggle I face every day when work and worship collide. Part of me is Mary. I want to worship extravagantly. I want to sit at his feet. But part of me is Martha, and there's just so much to do.